everybody Ooh, came alive. <laughs> Good to see you here today. Welcome to Access Church, and we're glad that you're able to be with us today. I started talking to you last week about choosing sides. And what, what kind of inspired that for me is I was invited to be a part of a fantasy football. That's U.S. Americano football. And I, I, I realized pretty quickly I was undermanned. I, I showed up with my phone to the draft where you choose your sides. And everybody um, had spreadsheets and computers. And it was, I, I was ill-equipped. And last week was the first game. And somehow I did win. So we'll see what happens today. But it gave me the idea about choosing sides a little bit that we, we do indeed because you and I are choosing sides every day. We choose which direction we will go and we make those kind of decisions in a way that builds our life in the kingdom that we just sang about. And we're, we're picking and choosing sides. And so last week I began to talk to you about choosing between pride and humility there are those moments where we have the ability to, to choose what makes us perhaps feel good and, and then we're challenged to per, what would be a better choice would be choosing humility, choosing to, to not put ourselves in the front. And, and we went through a, a whole list of opportunities that we have to choose pride or humility. The big thing about choosing sides is the fact that James 4, 6 tells us that God actually opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I try to leave with you that I, I know in my life that I, I don't need God opposing me. I need God on my side. I need Him operating on my life. And so I, I, don't, uh, I don't need Him opposing me at all. And I, I would venture to say that you don't either. To illustrate the difference between pride and humility, I share with you from Luke 15, the story of Jesus, he has, a, he has an audience around him, and uh, Luke is a very detailed writer, and he, he details what the crowd is in verse 1 of Luke 15. I'm not going to reread all of that, no, we're going to jump in further down in Luke, but he indicates that there are tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors being a special breed a special type of sinner so they were listed separately but tax collectors sinners pharisees and teachers and they're murmuring among themselves because they're noticing that jesus he welcomes sinners and eats with them and so this is not setting well with those uh, the religious crowd of the day and so they're murmuring murmur is where you're kind of speaking quietly to your neighbor uh, murmuring sometimes what we got going on up in the top there. Okay. And that's, what, that's the audience that he's dealing with. And so he goes into a parable and he's talking about sheep, first of all, because his audience would understand sheep, indicating that he has 99, but he leaves the 99 to go after the one. And they grasped that concept. They would not want to lose the one sheep. And he indicates also that when he finds the one and he brings the one sheep home, that there's a celebration that should happen. And so the audience is tracking with him. He then goes into an illustration of a coin. He, there's 10 coins, and each of those coins represent a day's wages. And so you're talking about nine that you have but that one coin is pretty valuable, and it's lost, apparently, in the dust of the house. And so uh, she's dusting the house. She's looking as hard as she can. She's searching for that lost coin. Once she finds it, there's a celebration. And Jesus goes further to say that it's the same way that, when, uh, th that the angels of, in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents, brings that in. Because you're tracking with me. There's sheep, there's coins, there's the angels of heaven, and what is lost is found. 
then there's a celebration. So he's setting up his story, and then he goes into that of the lost son. Uh, it's a man who has two sons, and the younger one pretty much says to him, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want the inheritance that is to be divided at your death. I want it now. And so it's very insulting. So his audience did, is going to do exactly that. They're going to gasp. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is so insulting. This is so terrible. But the father goes along and says, okay, he, share, he splits the share. Uh, but the son sets off with everything that's his. He squanders his wealth. And Scripture says in wild living, fill in the blank. He spends everything he has, and he ends up having to get a job. And the only job he can get is working with pigs, which another, his audience is thinking, this is the worst job ever. This is terrible, um, unclean. And so that's the job that he has. But he's so hungry that he wishes he has the food of the pigs and he doesn't get any of that. And so he's starving. His pockets are empty. He's, he's done his wild living. And then Scripture says that he comes to his senses. We do that, don't we? That's in verse 17, that we come to our senses. We, we do the math. And he begins to remember home. And he thinks, wow, it would be so much better for me. I, you know, I've lost the opportunity to actually be a son, but I could be an employee. And I at least would not be hungry. I think I could return to my father, but I could repent. And so, I, and I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, but have mercy on me. And so that's what it looks like to repent. You leave the junk. You leave the, you come to your senses. And what you want to do is repent. You want to return to the father and then I tried to illustrate for you last week that when he turns and goes for home, somehow the father's always looking for him, sees him in the distance, and runs toward the son. I illustrated that by running. I'm not going to run today. But I ran because I wanted, if that's the condition of your heart and the condition of your life, praying that the Holy Spirit would move among us and help you to understand and see that you could come home as well. That the Father's looking for you. He's looking off in the distance and He would welcome you home. That you repent and turn from what has been your life and you pursue life with the Father. Coming to His senses. It's much more than just I'm sorry because many times with sorry... Uh, I know this from raising kids, I know this from having neighbors, and I know this from having family, that sometimes I'm sorry just means I'm really sorry I got caught. I'm not going to change, I'm not going to seek to allow God to change anything in my life, but I am sorry that I got caught and, you know, can we just move forward? And you know, and you might forgive that, you know, we know Scripture declares that we're to be people who forgive, people who practice forgiveness. Uh, scripture says 70 times 7. We know that's tough. It's tough to go 7. But you see this pattern and where someone is in your life and they're saying they're sorry and you go, okay, let's move forward and you forgive. But then they do it again and they do it again and they do it again. And so it's a reasonable expectation for us to think that, well, you say that uh, the living God lives inside of you, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's reasonable to expect that the living God does not want to continue in this pattern. And that when you say that you're sorry, that there's, a, that there's the possibility of the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit working from within that helps us move beyond just I'm sorry to repentance and change, to allow the power of God to change what's going on in our life, to break a cycle of addiction, to break a chain that is binding us up and allowing us to move into a direction that brings change to our life. That's a reasonable expectation. 
I shared with you a thought, and several asked me this past week, can you repeat that? And I, I, what I said last week was that we tend to repent enough to be forgiven, but do we surrender enough to be changed? We tend to repent enough to be forgiven, but do we surrender enough to be changed? Because change leads to then uh, obedience. Vadi Bakum, he said that the gospel produces joyful obedience. That you, you, you repent, you walk in faith, and because you discover this great love of God, your loving response is to walk in obedience. It, 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 and joyful, I'm glad to do it. For God, I am the end of myself I came to my senses. I now want to walk with you. It is a joy. It is the joy of my salvation to walk in the, the, the fruitful obedience of the power of this gospel. That's a great truth, guys. The Apostle Paul. He shared in 2 Thessalonians 5.19, writing that we do not put out the Spirit's fire. It was like a, that's an incredible thought, that we do not put out the Spirit's fire. John Piper put it this way, the Spirit comes to us as a fire, either to be fanned into full flame and given the freedom to accomplish His will or be doused and extinguished by the water of human fear, control, and flawed theology. Putting a lot on us that, you know, when the Spirit, in my experience, leads me, directs me to speak some truth, to sometimes stop what I'm doing, and go speak a word of encouragement to many of you. Sometimes the Spirit leading me to speak a word of challenge to many of you. But whatever is happening, that there is activity of the Holy Spirit. And being obedient to the Holy Spirit uh, is like fanning that flame. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has directed me, come and kneel at an altar of prayer. I know it's not comfortable, but sometimes there's things that I need to lay down myself and some things that you need to lay down yourself. And so the Holy Spirit moving, you and I both having the opportunity to fan that flame or, or, or we're scared or we got to control or, or our theology is messed up and we, we're just not able to walk in that. And so we, we get some water really quick and we, we dump water. And that's what Paul is saying here. And that's what John Piper is commenting on, that you and I have some incredible opportunity that the Holy Spirit comes and operates in, in our lives. And, and sometimes it's just simple stuff, you know, like, you know what? What if you were to raise a hand? What if you were to get real crazy and just shout hallelujah? I know, I knew you would. Thank you, Michelle. And sometimes you get real crazy and it's two hands. And I know, yeah, you haven't done that since youth camp back in 1985. But Holy Spirit could operate like that. And, and so you fan the flame and then someone next to you says, wow, I'm feeling a freedom here too. I think I'm going to fan the flame a little bit myself. And so then you've got a whole room fanning the flame. And then the Holy Spirit, like, yes, there's, let fire come and fire, fire, uh, come and clean away the junk that we allow to operate in our life that affects our obedience, and it has an effect on an entire room of people when we see the Holy Spirit and we have the opportunity to fan the flame. I'm setting up where we go today. And I'm going to have to kill a mosquito or something here. I'm setting up, though. Now, we stopped last week because the prodigal came home. And let's pick up in verse 21. 
Here's what happens. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father sees it differently. The father said to his servants, Hey, quick, bring the best robe. Not the chapoose one. The best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Represents he's part of this family. And sandals on his feet. He's not running around barefoot here. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pause there for a moment. Yeah, that's some pretty good stuff. Because let me, let me remind you for a moment. This was the scenario in your life, child of God. You were far from God, and somehow you came to your senses, and you wondered if you could go home, and in some setting, maybe in a room full of people, maybe by yourself, but in some kind of setting, your heart melted, and you returned to the Father, and this is the experience that should have happened, that there was a great celebration. That he, he gave you everything that was his. I mean, you, you've already blown it all. You, you demanded it all. You, you did terrible things and you were sorrowful for it. You repented. You went home. And this is what you discovered. And it's because the heart of the Father is exactly this. You were dead and now you're alive again. You were lost, but now you're found. That's my story, child of God. That is your story. Amen? That is the way it is in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is illustrating here with sheep, with coins, and with a son. And that there's always going to be a celebration in this kingdom that he's introducing. It's always going to be that way. Okay. Meanwhile, though, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound, the, the younger brother. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Let's pause there. The older brother. He, now, Jesus has laid this out. He, he has said, there's the 99, and I'm going to leave the 99 to go after the one. He said, there's, there's 10 coins, one's missing. You're part of the nine coins. And then there's an older brother scenario. The older brother is unable to enjoy the moment here. He's unable to do it. In fact, he becomes angry. He refuses to go in. He refuses to be happy, refuses to join in the celebration, even though his father is actually pleading with him to please connect, please come in. And here's his response. And his response says so much about what, what's making him angry, and it says so much about what potentially you and I might feel at times. Because here's what happens in, in, in the religious world. Remember, that was what Jesus was talking to. Every religious leader present in this crowd. And they're, they're probably on the edge of their seat listening right now. And Jesus is telling them, here's what's going on. The attitude of your heart is you've been slaving for the Father. In other words, you owe me. That's what he's saying. You owe me. And I've never disobeyed your orders. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. I've obeyed the commands. And I never got my party. And we feel shortchanged. Because guess what, church? Guess what, those of you who are teachers of the law? Guess what, those of you who are missionaries and leaders? Those of you who are Christians who lead your life and lead your family. If you're not awfully careful in guarding your heart, you could look around and do a comparison game and you lose. 
You look around and you lose because you look around and you say, well, I've followed all the rules and I've done all the right things and here's this one that, that lived crazy and wild and they've only been in uh, walking with you a short time and God, they're getting blessing and they're getting opportunity and they're getting resources and you stub up and you get mad. Am I close? Am I Maybe. I, I, I know because that is a temptation, guys, of the enemy. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you're leading, there's a temptation. The enemy would love to whisper in your ear, look, how, look what a good boy you've been. Look what a good girl. You've obeyed the rules. What's going on? You're not, you're not having the kingdom impact. You're not having the opportunity. And we could feel exactly like that. And we're not able to celebrate and the Father is pleading with the Son. And I believe He's pleading with many of us even today. Next verse. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He blew your money, he blew the inheritance. And the father explains it in verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And get this, and everything I have is yours. You haven't lost anything. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the 99. I'm grateful for the 9. I'm grateful for you. You've always walked with me. I'm grateful for that. But get this, verse 32. We had to celebrate. And be glad because this brother of yours, here's what the condition, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. There's, that's the kingdom, guys. That's the kingdom. That there is always room in the kingdom. There was room for me. I didn't grow up in the kingdom. I didn't grow up like many of you have. But I found the kingdom. And it's a treasure. It's a pearl. It is amazing. And I'm grateful that I could come home. But I had to be welcomed by a church crowd. And sometimes, you see, this is a beautiful, this is a good, good father example. But sometimes the prodigal comes home and he comes home to this. And a foot that's padding. And conditions. You can come home. But we're going to see how it goes young man. We got some rules in this house. You follow me? That we, Moms, dads. Authority figures. The prodigal comes home. But we don't celebrate either. We implement our new rules. We remind them of how, how badly they have sinned, how badly it has all been. And we get all religious, honestly. But the Father says that we should celebrate. Because what was lost has been found and what was dead is now alive. Oh, may we be good fathers and good mothers and good authority figures. They get it. They understand the kingdom. You see, the kingdom is so different than everything else you know in this world. And we end up choosing sides. See, we choose between a celebration or we, or we perhaps choose spiritual pride and self-righteousness. The sense that somehow God owes us, that we have earned positional status, I think the fact is our, our understanding of humility is distorted. See, we don't humble ourselves so that we'll be lifted up in due season. We read that, but that's not the, that's not the why. We know that promotion comes from the Lord, and, but that's not why we humble ourselves. That's not why we choose humility. Or some think that we, they choose a path because they want prosperity. See, there are no terms in the kingdom. There is no, I'll do this and I'll get that. Or, or he owes me something for our devotion. Or I've slaved for you and I've obeyed all the rules. 
See, the reason that we humble ourselves is, be, is over the worthiness of Jesus Christ. That's all. It's the worthiness. He's worthy. Christ is worthy. That's why I choose humility over pride. Because He is worthy. Uh, he owes me nothing. See, that's messed up worship. If I get thinking, He owes me. No, I... I owe you everything. And I, I just, I just grateful to walk in your kingdom. Walk in, under your authority. And it's, that is the why of pr pursuing and choosing humility. To walk as a humble man or woman of God. Not so we'll get anything other than it is not about our self-righteousness, but about the righteousness that is ours through Christ. Mm. The worthiness of Christ. It's not the benefits of the kingdom. It is that He is worthy. See, the only way that this works, guys, is that you self-examine. Let me ask you, when, when, you get, when life squeeze, squeezes you, what comes out? Is it Christ? Is it fruit of the Spirit? Or, or honestly, is it anger? Despair. When your cup gets bumped, what happens? Does, is it grace or is it acid that spills over? I want you to reflect on that as we continue in Scripture today. I, wanna, I want you to look at some of the religious pride, spiritual arrogance, what it looks like in Scripture. It was pointed out multiple times by Jesus. Let me first of all give you Luke 18. It's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector, worst of sinners. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You owe me nothing. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God because all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. We can choose our sides. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Praying just to be seen. Praying uh, when we should be, you know, praying quietly. Praying, with the, uh, praying by the Spirit. Praying with the words that God gives us for the occasion. But he's, Jesus is revealing what it is to have, have prideful prayer. Before that, in verses 1 through 6 of Matthew, talks about giving. This is how you're supposed to give when you're choosing humility over pride. We have Matthew 6, 1 through 6. Okay, I got it. Just that when we give, we don't need to, the left hand doesn't need to know what the right hand is doing. No selfie required. We can be very quietly and not make a big deal, but give in some very generous ways and not, and not pursue to be seen by that type of giving. That type of giving, that type of prayer. And in Matthew 6.18, we have that. Chapter 6, verse 18. Talks about fasting in secret. I mean, when we're fasting, that... We don't need to look like we're starving and look like we, we haven't, haven't taken care of ourselves. We, and someone asks you, what's wrong with you? Uh, I'm fasting. 
No, Jesus, Jesus called that out. Sermon on the Mount. No, you can just decline. You know what? Someone asked me the other day, are you on a diet? I said, yeah, we'll go with that. I'm fasting an evening meal, but I don't need to make a big deal about it. I just, I can't participate. I, are you on a diet? Yes. There's ways to do it and not make a scene. See, religious people love to post pictures of helping others and brag about praying. Jesus said they have the reward. Let me give you, um, let me give you some photos here. This was kind of funny. You may think it's funny, but this is an artificial intelligence photo created of the prodigal son with the pigs. But he takes time for a selfie. Next one. Moses, burning bush. Can't miss that moment. You get a burning bush moment. Let's, let's do the selfie. And of course, parting the Red Sea. Big deal. Got to capture that one. Got to make sure we capture that moment with a selfie. And I think we got one more. Ah, Noah. Got the ark. Take a moment for a selfie. I'm only sharing that with you to poke some fun in a moment. It's okay to laugh, yeah. Or it may, it may strike too close to home. Because we can't serve without doing a selfie. We can't, we can't go pray for the sick without doing a selfie. We can't serve the poor without doing a selfie. We, and, and Jesus says, we, you have your reward then. You have your followers. There are some things, guys, as a maturing brother, sister in Christ that we should be able to do and no one else needs to know about it. In fact, there's some things that he may call you to do and, I mean, you don't want to exploit someone else. They've had incredible healing. They've had deliverance. They've had an amazing moment with God and maybe you just need to quietly bless them and go home. God knows. And that is enough. James, half-brother of Jesus, he tells us in James 2, this is, this is something else that we do sometimes in the religious world. And James calling it out for the early church, talking about favoritism. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting. This is James 2, verse 1. A man comes into your meeting, he's wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there, you sit on the floor by my feet. James says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Mm. Wow. It's ugly, but guys, we got to talk about it. I'd say many of you, like me, you, there are times you've been poor. There's been times that you've had a lot. But it's those times of being poor that remind me that what I read about the kingdom of God is that there's always room for me at the table. Doesn't matter what I have in my pocket or my bank account. There's always room for me in the family of God. Doesn't matter. And yet so often in Christian culture, in the church world, I mean, just because I'm preaching with you this morning, there's always a special seat for the pastor. We have a special chair for you. But then someone else might be with me, and it's my responsibility as a mature believer, to make sure that I see someone else with me, I'm not going to let them sit outside and stand and eat their food if they even get food. It's an even deal. We're all equally valuable in the kingdom of God. That's amazing, great news. But maturing believer, see, it's your responsibility and mine to make sure that doesn't happen to anybody. Someone tries to give special attention to you because of your title or how much they perceive that you're worth. 
you've got to look around and say, well, uh, that, that's not right. I, I, I've got to make sure that whoever is new, because sometimes we grade people in the church world. Fair or not, correct or not, but we grade them and we make sure that this person gets special attention. And James, it's the most practical book in the Bible, and he's just calling it out. Religious folks, you cannot do that. That is prideful. Everyone gets an equal opportunity at the table. When we flashed up small groups earlier all over the city, what, what should be happening in every group is that they're always open. Those are not designed to be closed groups. I'm, we, you know we have new people here every week. I never call you out, but there's somebody here today, and you probably did that QR code, or you did a card, and you're here for the first time. Welcome. We had like five of those last week or more. And I hope you're back this week. But I'm taking those and I'm, we're connecting those and giving you invitation to go to a group on Tuesday in San Lucas. Go to, go to Friday uh, in uh, Catatero, Salvador or here in San Cristobal or Tuesday in Antigua. Or we're, we're using those opportunities so someone new, someone who's even a prodigal could come and not only can they find a welcome here, but they also have a welcome opportunity to join the fellowship of the believers. Regardless of whether they have a lot of money or not, regardless of whether they are mature in their faith or they're just learning how to live life and how to walk with God, that is the DNA of the kingdom. You want discipleship? Fantastic. You and one other person or a couple more, you go meet in a different time. You give up another element because you know that you need to walk with God and you need to walk in intense discipleship. That does not happen in those fellowship groups. There's room at the table. Years ago, I had an expense account. I worked for this corporation in the United States and they gave me a, a credit card and, and they, they gave me, um, they never questioned me. They knew that uh, I understood what I was supposed to do with that card. I was supposed to build the brand. I was supposed to invite people to go with me and go to meals and go to coffee and I was supposed to pay the bill because I was expanding the network of the corporation. And they were pleased with my results. They never questioned anything else. But they knew that if I had someone at the table, it was to benefit the corporation. And they just, they just patted me on the back, kept paying the bill, and said, keep going. I ate some amazing meals. But when I look at that, see, that's a corporate culture thing. It works for that because they're building profits. They don't, they don't even pretend to be a godly corporation. They have different goals. They have different vision. They have different mission. But see, we've signed up for a kingdom. We are part uh, of a church that the ga gates of hell <laughs> will, not come, will not successfully come against. It, 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 is, it is a different type of kingdom I'm going to save that for a different message. I got a couple of messages in my pocket. We just don't have time. I got to focus. The deal is, see, uh, it's a different goal than a corporate goal. But my, here in the kingdom, what the atmosphere is here is that, I see, I don't care if you have funds in your pocket or not. It is all of us get an equal seat at the table. All of us get an equal portion at the table. All of us get access to the, the resources of the kingdom. Just like the Father said, all that I have is yours. Wow. All that He has. Serious stuff. And so it's equal for us. It doesn't matter. You know, in, in the past world, the corporate world, I had decision makers at the table. I was able to invite the CEO, but not the janitor. In the kingdom of God, even.
even. Jesus went on in Luke 14, 13. We have that one maybe? Luke 14, 13. But when you give a banquet, when you go to lunch today, when you have that party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That's the invitation to the kingdom. And Jesus went on and explained what it would be like and, and to make sure that we go out in the highways and the byways and invite everyone because it's an equal opportunity kingdom. But it's a great reminder for me. See, I, I, I've got the stench of that corporate world in my, in my head and in my nostrils. And it reminds me that when, when I give something and when I have a party that everybody gets to come. Everybody gets to participate and everybody gets the same portion. We invite everyone. And, and yet sometimes, and that's the re reason I think it's important we grasp this today, is that you may be thinking otherwise. Because in the church world, across all church world, I, I even got some messages this week about special attention to certain people or to a certain option because they have resources and I treat them exactly the way I treat anyone who does not there is no difference I need you to do the same I need you not to not, you, you don't put a special place for me or for anyone else because they, you think they've got resources you treat brother sister in Christ you treat everyone the same you don't rank them based on where they are in the growth process. Jesus told Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And unfortunately, in the church world, many times we want fish that are already cleaned. We want to go buy our fish at Price Mart. They're already clean. They're ready for the grill. They're ready for the skillet. And we can't operate that way. If you don't know it already, know this. Ministry is messy. It's messy. It's messy. People don't call me between 9 and 5. They message me at 2 a.m. I have a crisis. And if I'm awake, I, 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 we pray. The clincher. Jesus said in Matthew 23 to the religious that, that you're beautiful on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. You're like unmarked graves. Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29, 13. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. They honor me with their lips. They say the right things. They know how to dress. They know what part to play. It's possible to do all those right things and still have your heart far from Him. That your worship could be in vain. Teachings, nothing but rules. Paul said it this way, 2 Timothy 3, 5, it's like having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. 2 Timothy 3, 5, form of godliness. I'm convinced these days that that's exactly what's wrong in many churches is because um, people are tired of just a form of godliness. They're tired of talking about power, talking about difference, talking about... Uh, loving God, loving people, and seeing no evidence of that, seeing no call to repentance, seeing no power of God on display, and has given the church a bad name. When in fact, Scripture indicates that there's dynamite, dunamis power that changes lives. A great question today, and this is the question, I'll try to, try to close and wrap this up, but a great question as you're choosing sides, as you're choosing between pride and humility and perhaps evaluating, and you know that when you're squeezed, that there's anger that comes out, that there's, there's just a bitter root there. 
And I just ask you today a big question. Do you know him? Do you really know him? Because sometimes it's that it seems like people are able to enter Christianity without repentance because no one ever talked to them about repentance. And I believe there's a merciful God and He's calling us back to that, that first love, that first relationship, that, where that's foundation, where, where the foundation is repentance. That acknowledgement that Jesus, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and He is the only way. It was Leonard Ravenhill, I heard him say, I don't ask people if they are saved anymore because who isn't saved? From the White House to the jailhouse, he said, I look a person in the eye and say, does Christ live in you? Do you know him? The heart of our, of our father is good. He's, there's always room at the table for everyone. And the expectation is clear that there would be an attitude of celebration and not this spiritual pride, not this comparison game going on. That we have the opportunity actually for the gospel to produce joyful obedience that will fan into flame the spirit today. I was, as I was contemplating this week and in prayer myself, a thought came to me, it's come to me before, but I wanted to frame everything today and I wanted to kind of close with this that just the thought, you know, that what, what if this is the last message that I preach? What if I don't get an op- another opportunity? Not because I quit, it's just because my clock runs out. Or I tell you often, I, I long for His return. I mean that. And he comes and I want everybody to go. But the honest truth is that perhaps not everybody is ready. And if I only had one opportunity, this was my very last time and I got to talk to you about pride and expose some things and make you think, but what would I share with you? And I, I'm going to share this in closing and they're going to come sing. But this was a poem, and I just ran across this this week, and I thought, I'm going to share that because it's kind of prophetic. But he said, the timeline of my return is upon us. Sound the alarm for my coming glory. Tell the world of my redemptive story. There is mercy for those who choose to receive, but those who reject me will be terribly grieved. It's time to repent and time to return Remain in my presence so you can discern. Deceptions are coming that will cause nation to fall. But I am assembling my remnant with last trumpet calls. Come one. Come all. I'm going to try to do my best to share this in Spanish for a moment too. I know you have that translated, but... best Spanish la línea de tiempo de mi regreso está sobre nosotros a sonar la alarma para mi gloria venidera cuentale al mundo mi historia redentora hay misericordia para aquellos que elan recibir pero aquellos que me resachen estarán terriblemente afigidos es hora de arrepentirse y es hora de regresar permaneced en mi presencia para que podés descender se avanzarán enganos que causaron la queda de la nación pero estoy reuniendo mi 
remanente con los otros toques de trompeta ven uno y comelo todo that's my response if I if this were it for me and I didn't have another opportunity it's to really simplify things but to also be very clear I believe he's gathering a remnant that will pursue the holiness of God that will prepare their lamps trim the wicks and they're ready for the return of Christ and when you live like that or when you preach like that you're always ready you're ready for his return you can clearly say I long for your return and so today the best way that I can the best way I know how I'm just trying to give an invitation to you if you have been on the fence you hear me you sit through this message today but the reality for you is maybe you've got one foot in a world and another foot in the kingdom where you have enough to at least show up here today but there's sin in your life you're you're not ready to meet a holy God that would come in the twinkling of an eye I mean, one day we are going to hear a trumpet sound I want you to be ready invite you today as we sing about a good good father and you weigh the cost that you would come to the place where you would repent of your sins and you would walk with a holy God declaring God all the days of my life that I have left I'm with you to be your remnant bride that longs for your return come Lord Jesus Lord I thank you today you are Lord over this house you're the good good father clearly illustrated for us that we are to celebrate because what was lost is found and what was dead is alive your instructions are clear and Lord while I long to spend eternity with you I I don't want to leave anyone behind and I you know my prayer today has been Lord that beyond my words Holy Spirit that you would speak dearly but urgently to the hearts of all who would gather here that today would be the day that they no longer sit on the fence that they no longer wait and make excuses and put out the flame but today would be the day that they fan the flame today would be the day that they say yes to your invitation to follow after Jesus because you're worthy because you're the only way and because time is short and the hour is urgent I pray you have your way as we sing and as we honor you today may there not be one person within the sound of my voice that would not leave here today with an absolute attitude of surrender to you O oh Lord Jesus' name.